Thank you for the introduction, Kevin. Um, I'm just going to open in prayer real quick. God, thank you. Thank you for the work you're doing in our hearts and lives. I pray that you would give me wisdom and the appropriate words to speak today. Amen. Do you ever have one of those times where you get too excited about something good or frustrated and act before you have time to think? Peter did, and he did it often. When Pastor Allen asked me if I would preach about Peter, I was stumped. There's so much that could be learned from the great fathers of the church. But as I prayed and looked at Peter in the Bible, I noticed a trend. A trend I have often seen in my life. As I reflected on Peter's actions while following Jesus, I noticed a trend of compassion, correction, and restoration. But first, I'd like to slow down, look back, and remember a few things we know about Peter. We know that Peter was married because Jesus healed his mother-in-law. We know that he was a fisherman in Bethsaida and in business with James and John. And we know that he was passionate. And that's the aspect of his character that we'll focus on today. Peter followed Jesus with all of his heart and his strength. He was quick to act and slow to listen. The first and only disciple out of the boat in the storm. The only disciple to rebuke Jesus and the fiercest to defend Jesus in the garden. Peter was also one of the first to confess Jesus as God, the only one to deny that he even knew him, and be restored to ministry, preaching the first sermon of the church. Today I will be looking at three key events in Peter's life with Jesus, where he acts or speaks impulsively, then look at his confession, denial, and restoration as a summary of his life and ours. The first key episode of Peter and Jesus that we'll look at today is Jesus and Peter on the water. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 22. Or you can read along on the PowerPoint. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. When he dismissed the crowds... And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is your command to me, if it is you, command me to come out to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind had ceased. When Peter sees Jesus on the water and calls out to him, he knows it's him. And when Jesus calls him, he goes. He doesn't think about the wind or the waves or the deep water beneath him. 
he gets out of the boat and goes. Once he starts to think about the risk and becomes afraid, he flounders. And Jesus is, of course, there to save him. Peter's faith in Christ has spurred him on to action, even if his actions were more than a bit impulsive. I'm not trying to say that it was bad for Peter to leave the boat. Jesus called and he went. Peter was passionate and reckless, but in this case, very much not wrong. Peter's passion here is in contrast to the fear of the other disciples. While they were afraid and confused, Peter is taking actions. This is an ever-present theme among the disciples. For better or worse, Peter is responding and acting quickly, often the first to act. It's good for us to remember that when Jesus calls us, he will not, he will not fail, even if we falter. The second episode we'll be looking at is Peter having the gall to rebuke Jesus. We're going to move forward to Matthew 16, starting in verses 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed on the third day, be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. How often do we stop and try to tell Jesus that no, things in fact cannot happen this way, and that he must do things through our own earthly means and desires? This stinging rebuke from Jesus is a powerful reminder of the importance of staying on kingdom mission. Peter is looking for a political solution to a spiritual problem, trying to make Jesus into something he is not in order to set things how Peter expects them to be. I know at times I have found myself guilty of this. I often need to be reminded that the kingdom of, that his kingdom is not of this world and that politics makes a poor savior. Our third and final episode of, of the three is Peter's passionate acts in the garden when Jesus is betrayed. And for there we'll be looking at Matthew 26 starting in verse 47. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priest and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign. The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were there with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But then how should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? 
We know from the Gospel of John that the individual who strikes the servant is Peter. While the rest of the eleven are in fear, Peter, ever the man of action, is quick to use violence and strikes the servant of the high priest. Based on the sword hitting his ear, I feel that it's safe to assume that Peter was trying to kill the man. He was trying to cut off his head. He was ready to kill for Jesus. Jesus once again had to remind him that his way is not our way. Jesus' kingdom does not come through force, but through sacrificial love and service. It is not about power over our neighbors, but love under them, lifting them up to Christ. For the second part, we're going to take a quick look at three connected moments in Peter's life with Christ. Please join me back in Matthew 16, starting in verse 13, where we read Peter's confession of faith that Jesus is the Christ. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood does not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is the high point for Peter in Scripture. Not that he's right or has the truth through his own knowledge and power, but that the power of God is revealing the truth of Christ through him. Later, in Matthew 26, starting in verse 69, we see Peter deny Jesus three times. And I'm going to turn there now. Now Peter was sitting outside the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You were also with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he had went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him and said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied them with an oath, I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the sayings of Jesus. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. In contrast to the previous passage, this is the lowest point of Peter's life. Instead of loving his God and serving his neighbor, he has abandoned his Lord, cursed himself and his neighbor, and gone off alone to weep bitterly. All his passion and zeal and all his pertinence are wasted. He is alone, afraid, and overwhelmed. But this for Peter and for us 
is not the end. Our sin is never the end. Please turn with me to John chapter 21, starting in verse 15, for our last stop in Scripture on this journey. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. In this passage, we see Jesus mirroring Peter's three times denial by asking him three times if he loves him. The command to feed his sheep is a restoration of Peter to ministry. And feed his sheep, Peter did. For the rest of his life, he passionately served his king, even preaching the gospel to over 3,000 people at Pentecost, becoming a leader in the Jerusalem church and taking the gospel of the kingdom on his journey to Rome, where he would eventually die. Peter was not without his faults. And at times he would need correction. Something we see later in his conflicts with Paul over welcoming Gentile believers into the church. And something we see in ourselves today. In closing, I have two applications for us. The first is that when we fail our God and our neighbor, we must always remember that Christ is there to correct and restore us. The correction may come from a brother or sister in Christ, like Paul correcting Peter, or it may come from a loving spouse, a child, or even an unbeliever. I know I often need correction from my wife. My prayer is that we would be sensitive to the Spirit and open to correction wherever it comes from. May we be quick to listen, slow to speak, and always remember that no matter how far we go, even if we deny and walk away, there is restoration in Christ Jesus. The second application is to keep our hearts and minds on the kingdom of God and not the things of men. That we would be the people of love, shaped by grace, welcoming people, lifting up our neighbor to Christ Jesus with gentleness and respect. Though I bless you and keep you as we go out today, I'm going to close in prayer. God, thank you. Thank you for the work you're doing in our hearts, drawing us closer to you. Thank you that your kingdom is open to us through your work. 
Help us to focus on your kingdom and to focus on you. Help us to reach out to others with love and kindness, bringing them to you. Amen. And I guess we don't have anything else for today, so the Lord bless you as you go out.